Welcome to the Real Time Roots Podcast. I'm your host, Chris DL, and this is my co-host, Sarah. Hello, everyone. At Joybelie, we help you grow your own food and remedies so that you can create health and wellness for your family naturally. Today, we're going to be talking about another way to preserve food. We're going to be talking about dehydrators. And you probably are already familiar with dehydrated food because you probably eat things like dates and dried apricots and fruit roll-ups and rice and beans. Sarah, what's your favorite dried food? Well, beef jerky is always tasty, but if I'm making it myself, apple chips are the hands-down winner for snacking all winter long. Apple chips, as in dried apple pieces. Yep, especially if you do them with that little machine that peels and cores the apple. It makes nice thin slices and you get really crisp apple pieces when they're put through the dehydrator. Now, historically, dried food was the way to preserve food for winter. And in fact, for things like hunting trips and camping and just to have easy to carry lightweight food that was also nutritious. Uh, Historically in North America, pemmican was uh, made of dried buffalo meat with berries and fat that were ground together and then used to be kind of a trail food, like what we would use trail mix for today. And in South Africa, biltong was the go-to food, kind of like beef jerky, but without all the salt. It's a little moister than beef jerky and it's air dried without heat. We, We do heat drying when we do beef jerky. Food for camping and backpacking is also often dehydrated as it makes the food lighter weight, so it's easy to carry in a backpack, and easy to store without refrigeration. It would be nice to talk about the first dehydrator. There's a long history, like centuries of food dehydration. Canning wasn't even a thing until just about 100 years ago. So when we talk about food dehydrating, it's easy to think that what we have today is what's always been there, but it isn't the case. The first electric dehydrator was invented by French inventors Masson and Collet in Napoleonic France around 1795. And dehydrated food was actually invented in order to feed Napoleon's army because Napoleon was at war with the rest of Europe and he was cut off from supplies. And so they they needed a way to dry what they had and to be able to feed all those people in the army um, so that the army could march. And so that was how we got the first electric dehydrator. Now, it wasn't a home dehydrator at that point. It was a big machine that was sort of industrial, but it worked. Some benefits of food dehydrating, it's lightweight, it's easy to store, it's stable at room temperature. So as Sarah said, there's no need for refrigeration. Also, it's convenient and it's a reliable form of food preservation. As long as the food is completely dry, you don't need to worry about bacteria or fungi because those need moisture to be able to do anything or affect your food. So completely dried food is probably the most stable form of food preservation and your food storage from dehydrated food is safe from power outages and a lot of other things that can affect refrigeration or freezer-based food storage. Now, in some future episodes, we're going to be talking about canning and we're going to be talking about freezing food, but we wanted to talk about dehydrating food first because it's one of the easiest methods to get started. 
in fact, when I was in college, I went to a girlfriend's house in the Okanagan in British Columbia. Um, her family owned a orchard and she had apricots and peaches on screens out in the backyard in the shade drying. And it was her job to rotate the trays, keep them out of the sun because they had to be dried in the heat, and then to bring them in at night to keep dew from going on it. And the fruit was dried without electricity in the sunshine. And that's really the traditional way of drying food is to use the heat from the summer sun. And so it's very basic, easy to get started. Even children can help with it. So it's so simple. And that's how they would traditionally dry sun-dried tomatoes, uh, raisins, figs, dates, and many others of our traditional dried fruits. That's right. That's right. So how to get started dehydrating? The first thing is, like, obviously you can dry out in the sun, in the shade, but in the heat of the summer, that's an option. You could make a solar dehydrator that focused the energy of the sun to use as a dehydrator. In the old, old days, um, when they heated homes with wood, they even had a dehydrator that would fit on top of a wood stove to use the ambient heat from the wood stove for dehydrating. But most of us don't have wood cook stoves in our house anymore. Most of us don't have huge backyards with big shade trees and low humidity and heat. So the most reliable way to get started is to buy an electric dehydrator. And our current electric dehydrators can often for home use fit just on your countertop or a tabletop. They have a relatively small footprint, often not more than a few square feet in size. And often the small home dehydrators will only take up about maybe two square feet on your countertop and they'll have 10 square feet plus of drying space inside the dehydrator. That's right. So they're very economical use of space and an awesome, easy to use food preservation method that can let you preserve small amounts of food very quickly and easily. There's two basic kinds of electric dehydrators. There's the round one that we call the tabletop model, and it's stacking trays. The heat is usually either on the top or the bottom, and the air goes through the dehydrator either from the top to the bottom or the bottom to the top, and that's what dries the food. And the other kind is a cabinet style, and that one is a box, and usually the heat source and fan are at the back of the box, and you push the food in on trays through the other side the front of the box and the air is circulated so that all the trays receive the same amount of heat and air together. You do still have to rotate the trays but um, those ones can actually hold more food and usually the temperature control is a little more accurate because you have more consistency with the airflow and the heat element at the back instead of either the top or the bottom. And a lot of the modern cabinet Dehydrators for home use also have timers, so you can set up your dehydrating to be a certain length of time with the exact temperature you want. And if you want to start it out at a higher temperature, then drop to a lower temperature. You have the ability to just program that when you're loading the dehydrator, and it will run itself through the temperature and the time frame durations that you select without you having to retouch it, except to check when it beeps and tells you it's done, just to make sure it actually is done. So the one that I have used for 40 years is the cabinet style, and that's the one I recommend. There are many brands to choose from, and the price is anywhere from $150 up to over $1,000, depending on the bells and whistles. But the simple 
cabinet dehydrator that's 150 is just as efficient and just as useful as the one that costs $1,000. So it's a very reasonable way to get started preserving food. Just make sure the trays are washable. If growing some of your own food sounds like something you're ready to do right now, I've got the perfect next step for you. My Fill Your Salad Bowl workshop is a concise workshop that will show you how to grow enough greens to fill a salad bowl every day. That's a great first step, just to fill a salad bowl. It's not overwhelming and anyone can do it. You can do it even if you don't have any land, even if there's three feet of snow covering your garden, even if you've killed houseplants in the past, and even if you don't think you have a green thumb. Here's what we cover in this workshop. Now remember, it's a concise workshop. It's not gonna take a long time to go through, so everyone's gonna have enough time to do this. You'll learn three different salad green growing methods that you can implement right away. You'll learn the exact methods I use to keep my salad bowl full so I never run out, even if I have unexpected company. You'll also learn where to cut costs and still be successful growing salad greens at home. You'll learn the ideal equipment to use if you want to grow greens faster and easier. The unique pitfalls to avoid with indoor and container growing. You'll learn how to save a crop that goes wrong. Where to find organic seed at reasonable prices. How to store your seed so it stays viable for years so that you can save money now on bulk seed purchases. And you'll learn the health benefits of sprouts, microgreens, and healthy greens and how to optimize these benefits in the way you grow them and the way you store them. We'll also give you 17 ideas for using homegrown salad greens in the kitchen so they never get mundane. If you're ready to start growing some of your own food and you think salad greens are a great place to start like I do, check the link in the show notes. So as you're drying food, you're going to very quickly find that you need a way to store the food. And so what we recommend for storage is a way to protect the food from light, from oxygen, and from moisture. And we do that by either putting it in a glass jar, um, a mylar bag, or a bucket. And I like to add oxygen absorbers with that to protect the food from oxygen because it lasts longer in storage. Now, dried food that's vacuum sealed in glass jars or put in mylar bags with oxygen absorbers has a shelf life of anywhere from five to 10 years. And so that's a very reliable way to have food storage. You don't have to second guess whether the food is good or not. Now, things with higher fat will have a shorter shelf life, but generally we don't recommend dehydrating high fat food items for long-term storage. That's fine for short-term, you know, making salmon jerky that you're going to take on a camping trip. Not a great idea for long-term storage. But your fruits and vegetables can definitely be stored for at least 10 years when they are packaged properly in glass or mylar. If you want to know more about that, I've written a book called The Dehydrator Cookbook for Beginners, a guide to dehydrating fruits, vegetables, meats, and more. And there is detailed explanation inside the book about how to properly store food to give it a 10-year shelf life. Now, dehydrating food is one of the easiest food preservation methods to get started with. It's safe, 
it's easy, and we want to go into a deep dive on how to get started dehydrating. But first, Sarah, I want to ask you, what's the very first food that you dehydrated as a young mom using your dehydrator? Tomatoes. Cherry tomatoes, to be exact. I sliced them in half and put them with the skin side out on the dehydrator trace, and then ran them in the dehydrator for... I believe it was 12 hours on 105 Fahrenheit until they were completely dry and crisp. And you can tell the crispness of dehydrated food by taking a piece off the tray and seeing if it snaps in between your fingers. As long as it snaps, you know it's completely dry. And then I stored it in plastic since it would just be for the one season. I use Ziploc bags for uh, dehydrated items that I'm going to be using up within a year. And I use glass jars for stuff I'm planning on storing longer than a year. So then what did you end up doing with the dehydrated tomatoes? Well, I found out that they work really well for rehydrating in chili to add more rich tomato flavor and more tomatoes. And I also found out that they powdered up really nicely to use as a sauce extender or as a um, powdered sauce base for adding tomato to ground meat or to other dishes. Yummy. They work really well to add a little bit of tomato flavor into curries and stuff like that as well, where you don't want a ton of tomato, but you just want a little hint of it. Like butter chicken. Yeah. Yum. Now you've made me hungry, Sarah. I'm actually planning on picking up a ton of zucchini from the market this coming Friday to turn into zucchini chips for snacking. Yum. Let's talk about the equipment that somebody needs just to get started dehydrating. I've been dehydrating for 40 years, but Sarah, you've just been dehydrating for a couple of years. I probably have way more equipment than I need. What would you say is what someone would need to get started if they were just a very beginner? Well, preferably you'd have a dehydrator. And if you've ordered a dehydrator but want to get a jump on it, you can use your oven, but that will heat up the house. So I don't recommend doing it in midsummer. But in winter, you can use your oven to get a jump start on dehydrating. I would... Make sure to have some storage containers, glass jars, Ziploc bags, or Mylar bags set aside. If you're using Mylar or glass jars and want to have long-term storage, I would recommend getting a vacuum sealer if possible. It's not necessary if you're just starting out, though, because you can just use your regular glass and easily obtainable plastic bags. Or, you know... Buy some storage containers from your local dollar store if you want to be able to reuse your storage containers. So when you get a dehydrator, it comes with trays that have kind of a mesh, plastic mesh covering. Are there any accessories that would be great to have, do you think? Well, my dehydrator has two different mesh sizes. So it would be great to have reusable tray liners like reusable parchment paper or something similar to that. As a lot of smaller items like cherry tomatoes, strawberries, blueberries, etc., once they're dry, even if they fit on the trays when I'm setting it up, they'll often fall through even the finest tray mesh. So having that extra washable layer to keep stuff from falling through is very, very useful. And it also would let you work with, say, tomato pre or paste or applesauce fruit to make fruit leathers yeah. or vegetable leathers. So personally, I have just used saran wrap, but since that's disposable, I would much prefer using a reusable tray liner and would highly recommend investing in a reusable tray liner. 
And, and there's quite a few in the market. Your dehydrator brand might have some what they'll call fruit leather sheets that are available for that particular dehydrator. There's also a company that makes reusable parchment in Canada. I don't know if it's probably made in China, but it's, it's available in Canada. And uh, there are other options out there. And I would recommend price checking rather than just going with whatever your dehydrator brand recommends as the dehydrator specific uh, tray liners may be more expensive than the equivalency of either a silicone baking mat or reusable parchment paper. So price check the different options and then figure out what you think will work best for you. Good advice. Especially when you're just starting out. And then the other equipment I'd recommend is make sure you have a knife sharpener and a good quality cutting board because you can only cut so many tomatoes before your knife starts going dull. That or the other thing that I use is a mandolin. That was especially when I was going through a lot last year. I did a lot of onions and I did a lot of peppers and having the mandolin to give me uniform slices meant that food going through the dehydrator actually dried more uniformly. Yeah, a mandolin is definitely very useful. And if you have the slicing attachment on a food processor, that can work instead of a mandolin. Right. Yes. If you happen to already have a food processor on hand. Right. But you don't have to go out and invest in a food processor to start dehydrating. There's some equipment that is absolutely essential, like the dehydrator. And a knife. And a knife. And the other equipment is optional if you um, maybe already have it in your house or you have a budget to invest in more equipment. Actually, a funny detail on the mandolin. Helping out at the local food reclaim, they discovered that using a mandolin for slicing tomatoes meant they could fill their industrial-sized dehydrator in less than 60 minutes with sliced tomatoes. Wow, that had, that had what, 12 shelves, 24 shelves? 20. 20 shelves in less than an hour. Yep, that's and that's amazing. one person doing the slicing. That's amazing. So if you're planning on doing a large amount of dehydrating or you have an absolute bumper crop of tomatoes, carrots, onions, peppers, apples, having something to help you with the slicing can make the dehydrating process, at least the filling of the dehydrator, a lot faster and more streamlined. We talk a lot here about things that take a little bit of time, but then a long wait time. And dehydrating is one of those. You can invest 15 minutes or half an hour to fill your dehydrator. And then you basically put the food in and walk away. You don't have to go back for 12 hours, 24 hours. Um, and that's really great. It's it's a great food processing method for people who are very busy. Uh, maybe you're working full time or maybe you have a lot of other commitments and don't have the time to stand over a counter, for instance. Dehydrating is a great way to preserve food if you're super busy. You can also use your dehydrator for more than just preserving garden produce, fruits and vegetables or greens or herbs. You can also use it to make ingredients for meals, like if you say made a big batch of mashed potatoes, you could dehydrate some of those potatoes to make your own instant mashed potatoes. It's also great for making snacks. There's recipes in the dehydrator cookbook for beginners to make CD crackers and things like that that would save you using the oven in midsummer. I personally prefer avoiding using the oven, so I find the dehydrators very useful for making summer snacks, especially those zucchini chips. Those are delicious. My favorite is beet chips. Have you tried cucumber chips yet? Yes. Yes. They're good too. 
They're the lemon too. cucumbers make really, really good cucumber chips. Oh, I bet they're they're round and just the perfect shape. The other things you can use your dehydrator for are uh, when you want to keep the temperature rate at like 105 to 110 for making yogurt or for proofing bread, your dehydrator, um, especially the cabinet dehydrators, have enough space to stick a large bread bowl in them or to stick jars of yogurt in and to keep the temperature stable. So you don't need a yogurt maker and you don't need an extra oven heated up to proof bread in. You just have to take the trays out first. So as we're recording this, it's July. When you hear it, it's going to be in August. And this is a time when the fruit is coming in from the orchards. And this is a great time to start dehydrating food. As we are talking about this, uh, peaches are ready, blueberries, new potatoes, green onions, um, leafy greens. And yes, you can dehydrate leafy greens like Swiss chard and lettuce. Kale. Kale. Kale chips. Yes, we can make kale chips, Sarah. I'll make some just for you. They're great with lemon juice. And also, this is a time to be doing cherry tomatoes and tomatoes, peppers, watermelon, cantaloupe, corn, green beans. Did I leave anything else, Sarah? Watermelon. Can you dry watermelon? You can definitely dehydrate watermelon and it ends up turning into chewy watermelon candy. And it is absolutely addictive. Oh, addictive watermelon. Yep. Yum. Watermelon candies are addictive. They are so sweet. And this is just cut up the watermelon, cube it fine, stick it in the dehydrator, wait till it turns into the leather, and then chew on it because it tastes like pure watermelon flavored sugar. I'm guessing that watermelon, dehydrated watermelon doesn't last long in your house. Nope. And the freeze dried watermelon from last year lasted even less time. So in whatever month you're listening to this, there is probably something that you can preserve with dehydrating. Even in December, you can dehydrate cranberries or Christmas cake. Or or, leftover mashed potatoes. Or leftover turkey. Even turkey can be dehydrated. And those would be ingredients for some of the recipes in your dehydrator cookbook. So let's talk a bit about dehydrating meat. There's, There's two ways you can do it. One is you can dehydrate it as jerky. And that would be raw meat. That's been marinated. Usually we marinate it in vinegar to kill any bacteria. And then it's really important if you're going to do jerky that your dehydrator can reach 165 degrees. Because at 165, the meat is pasteurized and therefore the bacteria load is gone. And then you can safely store it for long term. Then you can safely store it for long term. I still, with uh, doing jerky, I like to keep it in the freezer. But it can stay at room temperature for Um, a couple of weeks, no problem. So it's great to take camping or to take on a car trip or use as a snack. We did a batch of jerky before I went away to Israel. And that batch of jerky stayed good at room temperature in Israel for two months. It's it's not that it goes bad and it's not a safety issue. I just like to keep my jerky in the freezer. Yep. I just thought I'd mention the duration of that one. I heard from somebody who did jerky and ate it 10 years later and it had been kept in a, a cold storage room in a in a bucket and it was perfectly fine 10 years later. 
you also trim the fat off of the meat for jerky. So yeah. that also helps with the preserving. And of course, the vinegar does some preserving on its own because the vinegar and salt content helps. Yes. And you're removing all moisture. So there's nothing for bacteria to grow in. So it's a personal preference whether you keep it in the freezer or you keep it at room temperature. And jerky is always great for backpacking or canoeing or tubing down the river. Even just traveling in the car to have a backup snack in case you can't get to a restaurant. And then the other kind of meat preservation is with cooked meat. And with cooked meat, you can get by with a temperature of 145 degrees. And you're just going to dry it until it's um, nice and dry and crisp and kind of crumbly. So that would could be leftover cooked turkey from your Christmas Absolutely. dinner or Thanksgiving, as the case may be. Or you can also uh, dehydrate ground beef after the fat's been drained off and it's been cooked thoroughly. And you can use those as ingredients for dehydrated meals or as ingredients when you are preparing food in, say, a crock pot or a pressure cooker. So there's one thing, though, about ground meat that I want to bring up. Um, and this is in my my book, Dehydrated Cookbook for Beginners. Ground meat, when it's dehydrated, can be kind of gravelly. In fact, backpackers call it backpackers gravel. And it doesn't rehydrate very efficiently on its own. And so the secret trick to dehydrating any kind of ground meat, ground turkey, ground beef, ground pork, uh, ground chicken, is to add a starch into it. Now, the starch can be breadcrumbs. It can be something like tapioca starch or anything like that. Dried potatoes would work, not mashed potatoes, but dried potatoes would work well. The idea is that the starch draws in the moisture into the center of the meat, and therefore, when you're rehydrating the ground meat, it rehydrates more efficiently, and so you lose that gravelly, dry crunch when you're, when you're trying to rehydrate it. So there's a free tip for you. Now, higher-fat foods like salmon can be jerkied in the dehydrator. But after the dehydration, they should be kept either in the fridge or in the freezer due to the high fat content, because unfortunately, fat does not dehydrate. Right. And it can grow rancid after a while in storage. So it's better to keep it in the freezer. But don't let that stop you making your own candied salmon jerky, because that is one of the other recipes in the Dehydrator Cookbook for Beginners. And believe me, it is tasty and one of my personal favorites from that book. Now, there are a few things that we wouldn't use a dehydrator for, and there are other food preservation methods that work better. So one of those is fatty food, as we've already mentioned. You're not going to dehydrate butter. You're not going to dehydrate olive oil or foods made with those that are high fat, like cream cheese, um, cheesecake, those kinds of things. They, the dehydrator is not the best method of food preservation. There are other methods like freeze drying that do a great job with like cheesecake. But even there, um, you're not going to preserve butter that way. And you wouldn't want to try to dehydrate raw eggs or most dairy products. But you can dehydrate like scrambled eggs. That works just fine. Because they've been cooked. They've been cooked, but I wouldn't try the raw, as you said. And there aren't any dairy products really. Because dairy um, has fat in it, there are better food preservation methods for dairy. We did do dehydrated cheese once, but that was more as a... A snack. Hiking snack. Yeah, and, and we didn't keep it more than a couple of months. 
And that cheese was a low-fat cheese that we had made at home, more like feta cheese than cheddar cheese. Yep. It was good, though. So in my book, The Dehydrated Cookbook for Beginners, there are over 100 recipes that will help take you step-by-step through dehydrating individual foods like ingredients, but also snacks and complete meals. And I think you'll find that really helpful if you're just getting started in dehydrating. It is a beginner cookbook, so it does take you step-by-step through the process. If you're an experienced dehydrator, I'm sure you'll still learn some things, but it might not be the cookbook that you're looking for. You might have fun with the recipes, but the individual ingredients are going to be covered quite basically. Extensively. 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 The basics are covered very extensively. Yes, that's that's a good way to put it, Sarah. Now, when I was doing the, the writing for the book, some of my favorite recipes were the snacks and the complete meals. I honestly, before I did the book, I had never dehydrated shrimp before, but shrimp actually turned out really well dehydrated. And also I'd never done ham before. So I was able to play with some foods that normally I wouldn't be dehydrating or even cooking with. So that was really fun. We, it stretched me writing the book. So we've been talking about dehydrating food um, and getting started if you're a beginner as an easy to begin with method of food preservation. If this is brand new to you and you've never thought about preserving your own food, dehydrating is a great way to get started. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about water bath canning, specifically pickling and jam making and those kinds of things that are safe to do in a water bath canner. And if you're interested in learning more about dehydrating, you can go to the Joybelly Farm blog. We have several articles about dehydrating and about choosing a dehydrator. And then we also have an article about choosing the best dehydrator for your needs. And those links will be in the show notes at the bottom of the page. Thank you, Sarah, for joining me today. And thank you listeners for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you think that this would be helpful to a friend, please share and remember to subscribe to our podcast. Talk to you soon. Bye.